The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in the markets and the outlook for gold and mining stocks. My guests today are Barron's senior writer, Nicholas Jasinski, and Imaro Casanova, a deputy portfolio manager of Active Gold Strategies at Eck. On May 1st, Ima, as she's known, will become the firm's lead portfolio manager for actively managed gold investments. Ima is bullish on gold, as are central banks, as are many other investors. The gold price took off around March 8th, around the time of Silicon Valley Bank's failure, <coughs> Excuse me, and it has barely looked back. Today, gold is trading at about 2010 an ounce. Its all-time high is 2,069.40, which it reached in August 2020. So we have a ways to go, but a lot less than we did a month ago. With that, let's welcome Nick and Ema to Barron's Live, and glad you both can join me today. Thank you for having me, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So we're going to spend a bit of time today on first quarter earnings, which kick into gear this week. But I want to take a closer look at the gold market first and at the rally that's been driving gold prices. Ema, can you kick us off with a quick review of the price action in gold and the rationale behind the recent rally? Sure. Um, so, ever, you know, early in the year, in the first month of the year, we saw gold um, starting to rally. And at, in, in early January, that was driven by dollar weakness, which was really driven by increased expectations that the Fed was going to start to slow down the uh, pace of their hiking program. And also, there were increased concerns about economic growth. Are we going to enter a recession? And all of that supported gold early in the year. We saw gold crossing over 1900. It did cross below 1900 after some what were more positive news on the economy uh, in February. But then, of course, um, we had the biking crisis, banking crisis in March, and gold took off from there um, as investors really turned to gold uh, as a safe haven. And uh, we didn't quite get to all-time highs, but gold obviously uh, has now traded over 2,000. We're uh, just below 2,000 this morning as we speak. Um, but gold really reaffirming sort of its role as a legitimate form of portfolio insurance. It outperformed uh, most asset classes, the US dollar, the S&P, bonds, crude during that uh, period of uh, heightened risk. And the gold stocks also performed very well. So what is the rally in gold telling us about the macroeconomic backdrop? I think what it's telling us, especially after last month's events, is that the the system is fragile. There are a lot of risks facing the global financial system. 
we have seen some of those cracks now in the form of that banking crisis. And honestly, we think there could be more cracks in the system, that the burden, the weight of higher rates in the global financial system, especially at a time where debt is at record levels um, everywhere, um, it's, it's, it's showing, that stress is showing, and, and we think, honestly, something else could also break. Um, something else could break going forward. And gold is telling us that um, um, with this performance, um, and honestly, if we want to jump into sort of what the outlook is, that there's still more that could be priced in into the gold price from here. I was going to ask you, do you have a gold price target? <laughs> we don't put out official targets, but obviously when I'm asked, uh, I like to talk about ranges, and I think we could very well be um, forming a new base for gold around this 1900 to 2000 level. Gold does to change sideways for a little bit as it finds its footing before it r rallies higher, but I certainly see the old time high of 27 or so um, as a very uh, achievable target in the short in the short term really in the near and then in the medium term i could we, i can see gold reaching those levels again uh easily this year so i would put my my price target at least for now at the at the all-time highs so nick i wanted to ask you you wrote a piece about gold you've written a couple of pieces about gold over the past few weeks and you mentioned that gold is nowhere near an all-time high on an inflation adjusted basis can you explain a little more about that uh, yes, of course. So, so gold price is nominal. It's it's in it's using current value U.S. dollars. Um, if you were to to adjust for inflation, the the, the gold price was was much higher um, for most of its history. Really, um, the uh, back back before the back in 1980, rather I should say, um, soon after the U.S. left the gold standard um, um, through most of the 70s and into the early 80s, gold price just continued and continued to rally. Um, if you were to adjust the 1980 price of gold to today's dollars, it would be more than $3,000. Um, that's the, the real gold price. So we're, we're a long way off from that. But of course, when we talk about the gold price, we talk about it in, in nominal terms. So, so we're still at a nearer record in, in nominal terms. In nominal terms, exactly. I, I hate to adjust the price of anything for inflation these days. Right. So let me ask you, Ima, who's been buying gold this year? Yeah, so um, last year, to, to put things in, in context, the central banks purchased a record level of uh, gold. They were net buyers as a group um, globally uh, of more than a thousand tons of gold, which is the most they have bought in, in, in a long time. And to be clear, the central banks have been buyers and net buyers of gold for the past 13 years. So we've obviously been um, highlighting that. In fact, we think some of the strength late last year that we saw in the gold price uh, in the last couple of months of the year was uh, very much uh, likely driven by the strengths in this um, central bank buying. And, and this do, year we've seen that continue. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, why do central banks want to own so much gold? Is it a hedge against uncertainty? Is it is something related to currencies? What's behind that? All of the above. Yeah. In fact, when 
gold central banks are asked why they're owning gold. They list, yes, uh, safe haven, uh, hedge um, when financial conditions, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and volatility in the markets. Um, it is a portfolio diversifier. Central banks are looking to diversify their reserves, um, obviously away from the US dollar. We also think the Russia experience has a lot to do with why central banks are looking to diversify. Uh, Russia had uh, over 20% of the reserves in gold, and that served them uh, very well at a time where their other reserves were being frozen uh, earlier um, last year after the, the war broke out. So uh, central banks are buying to uh, diversify and uh, to protect their, their own portfolios. And we, could, we think that could be a, um, sort of paving the road for broader investors. That makes sense. What is the best way for broader investors to own gold? Should they be buying bullion? And if so, how should they be buying stocks? What do you think? ETFs? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, a point I like to make is, first of all, gold is very underheld. It is a very small percentage of uh, global assets under management, something like less than 2% or something like that. So um, there is a lot of opportunity for that you know, number to, to increase and to have a significant impact on, on demand. Um, what should uh, investors own? I mean, you can own bullion, clearly you can own bullion in physical form, or you can own it um, via the bullion-backed um, ETFs. And you can also gain exposure to gold via the gold mining companies, which are a leveraged uh, play on gold. So those are sort of the, the vehicles uh, investors can use to gain exposure to the gold sector. So what's the best way if you want to buy bullion? How do you do it? Um, what's the best way? Honestly, I think in today's markets, and um, I, my preferred way to to own. I mean, most some people want to have it on their their mattresses. They want to hold it and feel it, and I respect that. And um, that tends to be not always practical, and and it it is costly because you have to transport it and insure it. The easier way for investors to get access, if they want the metal, is through the uh, gold bullion-backed ETFs, which do back it and hold it in storage for you as you buy units of the ETFs. Uh, it's obviously very liquid and tradable. So to me, that's sort of the, especially for, for individual investors, um, it's, it's the, the sort of more modern and practical way to, to hold a bullion these days. Right, because you'd have to have a mattress as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a thick one oh, yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. So, Nick, any questions for Ima before we move on to earnings? Um, um, this is a bit of an aside, but I'm wondering, did you have any thoughts on the silver price? It's also been been rallying a lot. I know some of the reasons are, are related. Um, yeah. I, we totally um, uh, actually do relate uh, uh, silver performance with gold performance. It, silver tends to follow gold, if you might. And um, the difference, the main difference between gold and silver is that fil silver does have a larger industrial component. And because of that, it will also move more, it will have more of an impact um, uh, on what the 
economy is doing. But overall, it tends to follow gold. And what had happened recently up until about a month ago is that silver had been lagging. And we had been very bullish uh, silver on the back of that um, because we, in, in the past when this happens, it does tend to catch up. And we've seen very strong performance in the last month or so. And we would expect that our performance actually in uh, silver as that gap uh, closes. But yes, um, if you want to, um, you know, estimate what silver is doing, looking at gold, it's, um, it's a very good proxy. Glad you asked, Nick. You anticipated one of my questions. So let's move on now to take a look at first quarter earnings. We've got 30 S&P 500 companies that reported earnings through last Friday, including the big banks. Another 60 companies or so will report this week. Tell me how first quarter earnings results are trending so far. We know JP Morgan had a wonderful quarter. What about everybody else and what's the outlook? Um, so to put it simply, I'd say so far so good. Um, earnings season is off to a strong start, um, but it's still very early. Um, and that's relative to some pretty gloomy expectations going in. Um, like you mentioned, Lauren, 30 S&P 500 companies have reported so far, according to facts that 27 of those have a uh, um, have beaten the consensus earnings estimate. Um, so that's 90% of those companies, which compares with 58% of companies that beat estimates last quarter. Um, and the typical beat rate is somewhere in the 75 to 80% range. So, so, so far better than the average quarter, um, but that's beating a pretty low bar. Um, going into the earnings season before the first earnings started coming in, the analyst consensus um, for S&P 5 earnings S&P 500 earnings was to be down about 5% from a year ago in the first quarter of 2022, and for revenue to be up uh, just under 2%, um, which would follow an earnings decline of about 3% last earnings season. Um, so a, a sharper decline now. Um, when you have two back-to-back -back quarters of falling earnings, some people call that an earnings recession. Um, if, if analyst expectations are right for the first quarter, that would be the first earnings recession since, since 2020, um, when the economy was shut down for, for COVID. Um, for me, really, it's all about profit margins this, this earnings season. Um, revenue is continuing to grow for most companies. The tech sector and the S&P 500 is the only one that's expected to show a year-over-year -year, uh, revenue decline. Um, but for most companies, their costs are going up faster. Um, so the bottom line is it's, it's still too early to have a strong takeaway on what this earnings season is going to say. Um, but with expectations as low as they are, um, it's likely that we'll see more positive surprises than negative ones. Um, and the, the number to really focus on for the S&P 500 overall, but for individual companies as well, will be their, their profit margins and how that compares to the past few quarters in the past year. Good point. We will definitely be watching. So we heard from JP Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo. <clears throat> Speaking of banks, we'll hear this week from Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America. What's to watch there? Um, yeah, JP Morgan, like you mentioned, was particularly strong. Um, they... they well surpassed guidance for uh, net interest income and, and raise it for the full year. Um, it goes back to this this banking turmoil that we've been having. They, they were a beneficiary of deposits flowing out of some regional and smaller banks, um, although management warned that for the full year, they expect that to reverse and, and for their deposits to be down by the end of the year um, um, as, as some of those deposits continue to flow to other places. Um, they took some minor provisions for expected loan losses, but, but nothing dramatic there. Um, and I think, again, this goes back to just a low bar. Um, JP Morgan, like, and all the other bank stocks have, have really been hit hard in March. Um, 
so so the the stock was down big going into earnings and and like you mentioned it was up seven percent on friday um it city did well as well Wells fargo so so um this morning we had a few more financials charles schwab um the the uh they have saw That's a big exactly. drop in deposits shares are falling um and later on this week we'll hear from goldman sachs morgan stanley bank of america um of those i think the most interesting will be bank of america they had the largest uh, mark to market losses on their held to maturity bond portfolio among banks at the end of uh, the fourth quarter. Um, so we'll want to hear any updates on that and, and what's going on with their deposits as well. Those results will be tomorrow morning. All right. We, we will be listening and we will be covering them on barons.com. So Tesla reports Wednesday, if I can move on from banks, the stock has been a huge winner this year. Of course, it wasn't such a huge winner last year. What will you be listening for in Tesla's quarterly numbers? Uh, yeah, Tesla is always a fun one. Um, they they, exactly. they do publish they do publish their monthly uh, unit sales figures, so we do already know a lot about the quarter going into the report. Um, for the first quarter, they ordered or excuse me, they delivered four hundred twenty three thousand or so units, um, which would be about up about thirty six percent year over year. Um, but because they've done several rounds of price cuts around the world, um, revenue is only expected to be up closer to 20% versus a 30%, 36% increase in unit sales. Um, so I sound like a broken record, but once again, the, the, the number to watch will be automotive gross profit margin. Um, the consensus there is about 21%, which would be the lowest in a few years. Um, that's basically the, the, the profit margin that Tesla makes on assembling and selling their vehicles and forget about all the other um, things on top of that. Um, a miss there would be very bad for the stock, which which does tend to be volatile around announcements and earnings. Um, it is up more than 50% year to date. Um, and I think a bad margin number would result in pretty big cuts to future quarters estimates as well. Um, so watch the automotive gross margins for Tesla. That's a that's a tough position for Tesla to be in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's uh it's there are a lot more options for ev buyers these days um and so they they've been responding to that by by cutting prices um but i mean they, they still are far and away the leader in the ev market and um everybody's still playing catch up with tesla that's an expensive stock and and uh um it does it does move a lot on on results good all right something we'll also be covering netflix reports tuesday evening in Netflix's case, subscriber numbers have always been the key thing to watch. Are they still? Um, I think they are, not as much as they as they once were when, when Netflix was unprofitable and it was just about growth at any cost. Now they're certainly more focused on the bottom line um, for every streaming company. Um, the thing that I'll be listening to most from, from Netflix tomorrow evening will be um, what they talk about, their, their password. Anybody who uses Netflix has probably heard about the, the upcoming crackdown on password sharing. Um, where, where Netflix will ask people who are logging into one account for multiple IP addresses who are not really part of the same household um, to actually pay for the, the, uh, the my father's Netflix password, which I've been using. Um, <laughs> so uh, um, we won't tell that, anyone. The, uh, that hasn't rolled out yet in the US, um, but in the first quarter, they did start that in Canada, Spain, and Australia, um, which are markets that are demographically and, and uh, in terms of pricing somewhat similar to the US. Um, so I'd be very interested to hear what lessons management takes from those. Um, there's no timeline yet for when the, the crackdown is going to start in the U.S. or other important markets in Western Europe. 
Um, so it'll be really interesting to see not just what the overall subscriber number is, but how much they say about what that password sharing crackdown has done to subscriber trends in those other markets, where whether it's actually leading to uh, more people signing up for uh, accounts who had previously been sharing um, passwords, or if it's it's resulting in some sort of backlash from customers. Well, we're not going to ask you what you plan to do, but <laughs> definitely an issue for Netflix. I'll report back. Okay. So AT&T also reports this week. It reports on Thursday. Gone is Warner, which merged with Discovery Communications, which rebranded as Warner Brothers Discovery. So that leaves us with plain old AT&T. What is the outlook for AT&T and the outlook for its stock? Yeah, this quarter will be a bit messy because they're, not only is the Warner division's gone, but they're also changing their segment reporting. So it's not really going to be easy to compare to past periods. I feel like AT&T changes their segment reporting every couple of years, um, which is neither here nor there. Um, once again, I, I am a broken record. Look at the profit margins. Um, the AT&T has a significant debt load. They have a big dividend requirement. Um, it's a it's a big commitment on their free cash flow. Um, the guidance that management gave for this year is a good bit higher than the analyst consensus estimate. So there is some Wall Street skepticism of their plans and ability to achieve them. Um, just, just zooming out a little bit, 2021 and 2022 were really, there were huge years for subscriber growth in the US wireless industry, not just for AT&T, but for everybody. Um, and that was a mix of a strong economy, work from home trends as a result of COVID. Um, as that subscriber growth industry-wide goes back to normal, um, everybody wants to know who will see their subscriber growth slow, who's going to take market share, who will be the loser amongst it all, um, and will it require big significant promotions and retention offers that are going to hit profits. Um, AT&T arguably is not in a position to get super aggressive with promotions. Um, they can't really afford that. Um, so I'll be watching that trade-off. Does it look like they're sacrificing profits in favor of subscribers, or are they choosing to keep their margins intact, but as a result, they're falling behind on subscribers versus their competitors? Um, the pros are that the stock is cheap. It has a nice dividend yield at around almost 6%. Um, it's among the least owned in the S&P 500 by institutional investors, according to B of A, which actually that tends to be a contrarian indicator. Um, that's what I'll be you watching. Excuse me. The, the dividend is safe. Um, well, that's that's what that's what's sort of an overhang on the stock. Um, mm -hmm. You don't get a six percent dividend yield if there's not some concern about um, about its sustainability. Right. Um, and I think I think we'll learn a lot, not just this quarter, but in the next few quarters, about their ability to keep generating free cash flow and balancing all these competing needs of paying down debt, maintaining the dividend, and uh, and choosing how to be promotional or not with their uh, wireless plans. Um, I'll say at, at Barron's, we've, we've preferred T-Mobile stock over AT&T and Verizon in the past few years, and, and that's been a, a winning call so far. Mm -hmm. um, I would stick mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. Interesting situation, though. All three, all three are interesting business situations. So thanks for that, Nick. Let's get back to gold now and talk about some gold stocks. Ema, I'd like to ask you about the mining stocks and how they perform relative to the metal. Over the past 12 months, the miners have significantly lagged the metal. But over five years, I think the larger miners have kept pace with the metal. The junior miners have not. Tell me about the historical relationship between the mining stocks and the metals and where you think it's headed now. Yeah, no, historical, there's a, a very, very strong correlation clearly between what gold, the performance of gold and the gold stocks and in general, 
um, because of the leverage of the gold stocks um, to the, the gold price in a rising gold price environment, uh, the gold stock should outperform gold and vice versa in a negative or declining gold price environment, they tend to underperform. As you point out, uh, more recently, we have seen um, some underperformance um, uh, positively during this last um, month in, um, in March, specifically when we um, went over, you know, we were in that uh, high volatility and certain period with the banking crisis. The stocks performed just as you would expect them to, more than basically doubling the uh, performance um, of, of the metal, which is precisely what we expected. Um, but like you said, they're coming from uh, lower levels over the past two years or so. So this is a lot of play, playing ca catch up. And indeed, like you mentioned, the, the junior companies have further lagged um, the larger caps and the mid tiers. But in an environment, like I said, where, you know, we don't think the, the market's you know, they're, everybody's pricing in the Fed pausing or slowing down and probably pausing. In fact, the market's already pricing in cuts and the Fed rate in 23. And this is obviously gold positive. But what we don't think is getting priced in into, the, into gold is the negative impact that this policy change is really going to have in the fight against inflation. And obviously, the, the, the increasing likelihood that this is going to lead to a hard landing or, or a recession as financial conditions worsen. So under those scenarios, gold appeal increases and like we you know we we, we, st we know that you know gold is still very under owned uh, investors haven't you know yet turned to gold in, in full force when they do that'll be good for gold and the stocks if we're right should outperform the metal um uh in in that environment so um, you know, specifically in our fund, we are fully invested in the gold equities to benefit from that outlook. Are you allowed to mention individual stocks that you like? Yeah, sure. We can um, <clears throat> mention. So, um, as you mentioned, I'm the. Um, I will become in, in my first day portfolio manager for the active investment strategy. I like to point out when I, you know when we talk about investing in in um, gold equities that you know a, a fund approach um, it seems a lot more <laughs> a sensitive approach, given obviously the risk in these equities. A an active approach uh, also uh, we favor um, through our gold strategies. Um, although we also have obviously our passive strategies here at Danek. Some of our top holdings in our active funds are Endeavor Mining. Um, ticker EDV, Canadian uh, ticker, um, high quality company, executed some transactions that have transformed into a large company in the space, over a million ounces of production, great track record of growing through the drill bit, great uh, organic growth success, has demonstrated that it can operate in West Africa, pays a dividend, has a share buyback program. Uh, we, uh, we, we we really like this stock and have it in a, as our top holding today. Agnico Eagle is another uh, large producer that is among our top holdings. They face some um, operating challenges recently, but we think the company uh, continues to be a 
uh, one with a very strong management team and we think uh, their pipeline or their low risk um, approach to growing should uh, deliver continued performance for this stock. Um, Royal Gold is a royalty and streaming company. And when I say streaming, I don't mean like Netflix streaming. They no, own, no, no, they, <laughs> they own streams. <laughs> they own streams in uh, the operators. So they're not outright operators, but they own portions of um, other um, oper the other operations, which is a very um, sort of diversified exposure to many gold producers, and that lowers the risk. They also uh, Royal Gold and other royalty and streaming companies uh, have uh, are they're, uh, somehow protected from sector cost inflation, which has been an issue recently. So we like this name for those uh, reasons and also a good uh, history of value creation and a strong team. And, and the last one I'll mention is that Alamos. Uh, we've been very impressed with the company uh, execution recently. It is going undergoing a significant expansion of its Canadian mine and also announced some very positive results recently from its Mexican assets. So those are two for um, top holdings that uh, we, we can highlight for, for our active fund. So I want to ask Nick about Newmont. He wrote a positive story recently. Let's talk about that a little bit, and then we'll go to listener questions. Um, yes, I have, I have written about Newmont. Um, Azima eloquently explained, naturally, a, a higher gold place is good for gold miners that produce and sell gold. Um, and it has been good for the stocks as well, including Newmont. Um, Newmont tends to be the, the it's, it's, it's among the largest of the gold companies. It tends to be the one in the sector that, that generalist investors consider if they are looking at adding just a single gold price. I think there's a, a, a lot of benefits of diversification and, and buying into a gold fund, which is, a, is the one that Ima works on that, that, that goes um, further down the market cap as well. But if you're just looking at one and you're a generalist investor, Newmont is probably your best answer. Um, it's the only one that's in the S&P 500. It has the best liquidity and, and trading volume of, of all of them. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's been bulking up um, in 2019. They, they bought Gold Corp. Um, they're um, in the process of buying a, a Australian gold miner right now, which, which would make it even larger. Um, um, the, um, it also it tends to operate in generally less risky regions than many other gold miners. A lot of its assets are in North America and Australia. Um, it has about 100 million dollars of 100 million ounces of reserves, um, which will get even bigger once they buy this Australian miner. Um, and they they um, they have a generous dividend. Um, they've had some issues with their costs over the past few years, but a higher gold price is going to help that a lot. They've been it's been inflation, and they've been paying more for labor and diesel and uh, chemicals and raw materials used in mining and processing gold. Um, but uh, I'd say the outlook remains remains pretty good for Newmont. Um, the ticker is NEM. Yes. Just, just for those um, for those keeping score, as we say at home. So we have lots of questions from listeners, and Uma, I'm going to ask you to go through the answers somewhat quickly, quicker than mm -hmm. I would, but I want to get as many as, as we can in here. We had a question from Peter who says, Chartist, that's technical analyst, saw an important breakout on the 20-year gold chart last week. Do you trust such technical signals? Um, we pay attention to technical signals for sure. And, you know, we're sort of on 
pun intended, uncharted territories, <laughs> because we, you know, gold doesn't often trade at uh, this level. Historically, it hasn't. But um, yeah, we we pay attention to the to the double tops and the triple tops and the different uh, signals, and certainly we have seen uh, breakout. We, we, you know, we're below 1900 last time I looked before I logged into this call. Uh, but we, um, I would say, our our fundamental views and outlook on the gold market are the main driver of our um, um, forecast or outlook on the gold price, uh, supplemented by, you know, what these signals might be saying on the technical side. Okay, good answer. Deb wants to know how far into the future in terms of a contract expiration date, is it, is it reasonable to buy a futures contract for gold? I'm, I'm going to pass on that. Maybe Nick wants to comment on that. I don't, we don't include um, futures into our strategy. I personally don't uh, trade them. Um, I, the only thing I would say relative to timing is that I think it is futile to try to time the, the gold uh, market. You m should make a decision that you should have some allocation to gold as a permanent core part of your portfolio because of its diversifying and safe haven and portfolio insurance benefits. And, and, then, and that's that trying to, to time it uh, can be quite uh, frustrating. All right, I, don't, I think we're going to pass on that question for Nick because I have a feeling you're not buying gold in the futures market either. <laughs> pass. Okay. okay. Um, TJ wants to know if you have any thoughts on the outlook for Barrick Gold. He notes that it's lagged the price of bullion by about 23% over the past year. Barrick, you said. Barrick, Barrick, right. Yeah, Barrick is the second largest. I mean, uh, Nick just spoke about Newmont, the largest gold mining company in the world, Barrick. Uh, so second largest by market cap, certainly on production. Uh, we're constructive um, on Barrick. Um, it's a very, it has a very strong leader, um, uh, really a, one of the best in, in the sector historically. And um, all of the majors really including Barrick have been transformed recently to pursue uh, a very disciplined approach to, to growth. What we prefer to say is, is to value creation. Uh, they're paying dividends, Barrick included. They've been buying shares back from um, to us uh, to take advantage of the depressed prices of their stocks so they continue to you know not pursue growth for the sake of growing but to add uh, value to shareholders and protect returns um, so we we like barrick it is also in amongst our our top holdings and um, and uh, with a uh, higher gold price outlook uh, barrick should should definitely be a uh, stock to to watch and the ticker for barrack is g-o-l-d yeah, it's a pretty nice ticker this doesn't get better than that no. <laughs> enough you got that all right richard wants to know what are your thoughts about rare earths are we like are we likely to see the values advance rapidly as china threatens to use rare earths as a, as a strategic weapon 
Yeah, we don't, I don't cover rare earth metals uh, directly. My focus has always been precious metals, gold uh, and silver as sort of a, um, included in there. Uh, but clearly, um, you know, those metals are, are gonna uh, benefit, should benefit from this sort of energy uh, transformation uh, we're going through. Um, it, you know, where that demand is, uh, where the, those supplies are coming from is it's also uh, critical and the, the, the control of those assets, I think we're also trying to control whether it's China or the West trying to, to um, you know, secure those, uh, those supplies will be, should, should be beneficial also to these prices. So overall, I just think it's a positive outlook as we need more and more of those metals. But like I said, I don't, I don't follow those, uh, those metals in my coverage. What about platinum? Is that part of your coverage universe? Yeah, too much lesser than what the thing with these uh, metals is they're industrial metals. Um, yeah, platinum, it can be, you know, my wedding bands and rings is platinum, it's precious, but it, it's really a lot more linked uh, to the industrial uh, uses of those metals, platinum, palladium, etc. So we don't, I don't follow them that closely because we're, we're looking at, you know, metals like gold and silver that are more like currencies than they are um, industrial metals. So speaking of industrial metals, William notes that many gold miners also mine copper. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Barrick included uh, has a, a, a nice component, Newmont, the company Newman is trying to buy. In fact, some people say maybe that was a new crest. It's the Australian producer that Newman is looking to potentially acquire. Um, also has a lot of copper exposure. And yeah, the you know, the the miners obviously in a in a positive copper environment are looking for some diversification. Uh, what we hear from most of the miners is, yeah, if they can find good copper deposits, they, they will look at them. Um, as gold, precious metals investors, as in, um, uh, you know, managers of a fund that invests in gold, we obviously look for companies that do retain a, a, a bigger portion of their assets in gold because we're looking for um, playing that sector. But um, there is definitely uh, a component of those companies that is increasingly uh, more copper. Um, and the same for silver, but um, a lot more focused on copper these days. <clears throat> okay, um, we have questions now about investments. Howard wants to know how safe are gold ETFs? Yeah, I, there's a lot of, <laughs> I know, talk and speculation and rumors and conspiracy theories about, um, and I, I'm, I'm assuming that it means the gold bullion ETFs. Um, and I think, you know, the, the facts, these are, you know, that these um, investments are backed by the metals and they're, you know, if you, the vaults are holding the gold and they are audited and they should be um, backing every purchase with, uh, with gold. Uh, but I know there, there is a lot of concern of, uh, around it, or not a lot, but a spoken concern about it. I don't have, again, any knowledge that could <laughs> uh, point to, to that. Um, I think those are functional markets that have been operating for quite some time successfully. As far as the, you know, gold miners ETFs, well, that, that's, you know, obviously just holds the, the 
gold mining stock. So I'm assuming they're talking about the gold bullion ones. Right, right. And mm -hmm. Howard also asks, have crypto buyers started to turn to gold? Yeah, we get that a lot. I think obviously Bitcoin and other crypto assets had strong performance uh, recently. Um, I think it's more of gold and uh, crypto assets, Bitcoin, um, both serve uh, as alternative investments, if you might. Um, I think a lot of people think, you know, investors are jumping from gold to crypto or vice versa. And the truth is, that's probably not the case. It's the money for both crypto and uh, gold are coming from, you know, the, S the S and P, from the bonds, from other asset classes. And I think investors can be quite different for either. Um, but certainly they share some um, some things in common and could attract um, the, uh, both investors' uh, bases. Could you give us the tickers of the companies you mentioned? This is a question. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. So Endeavor Mining is trades both in London and in Canada under the ticker EDV, e, um, DS and David, VS and Victor. And uh, Agnico Eagle is ticker AEM both in Canada and the U.S. Royal Gold Trades in the U.S. under ticker RGLD and Alamos Gold Trades in the U.S. as AGI. Thank you. And not to leave Nick out of the questions, we have a question from Laura. Have earnings troughed in the first quarter or do you see more downward revisions through the rest of the year? I think it's hard to tell, but what's the early read? Um, as I say, predictions are hard, especially about the future. Yeah. Um, but thank you, Laura, for the question. Um, and you get at the right point, as, as is often the case, it's the implications for the future that will really matter from this, this earnings season. Um, and for, for now, the, the forecasts for later in 2023 are actually quite strong. Um, just to give you, for example, in the fourth quarter of 2023, the consensus right now is for 10.6% year-over-year S&P 500 earnings growth. Um, which is basically where it was on January 1st. So those estimates have not moved much. Um, and that's in stark contrast to economists' forecasts for a, an economic downturn in the second half of the year. Um, so stock analysts appear to be much more optimistic about the end of the year. Um, around this time, six months ago, um, first quarter estimates were holding up better and they've come down a lot. Um, so so it's, this, it's this tough dynamic where there is so much uncertainty about the economic outlook that you can see stock analysts maybe waiting until closer to the actual reporting season to adjust their earnings down. Um, but along with the first quarter results is when a lot of management teams give guidance for the, the year. Um, so depending on the tone that different management teams take and where that guidance comes in, you may see some adjustments to earnings um, later this year. Um, I, I think that, that, that that's it's just too early to, to say really. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have another down quarter in the second quarter. Um, That's what makes but, first quarter uh, earnings so interesting, though, because you yes, get your guidance. All right, we have to end it here, but I have one more question from Gail. This is for Ima. It's an interesting question. When you sell gold bullion ETF shares like the GLD, are returns taxed as collectibles? Oh, boy. I, I have to we can get back to that i i i'm not gonna get into the details of that the tax implications of the different instruments are very complicated um i'm i'm not certainly sure of the details of around it is, those 
It is a very good question. I think none of us really know the answer. <laughs> but it's actually a good one to follow up on. So we thank you for asking that. All right. Unfortunately, we have to end the call here. But I want to thank you both so much for joining me today and sharing these great insights about earnings and the precious metals markets. Thank, thank you, Lauren. Great. In unison. I like that. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, will be speaking with Dan Niles, Founder and Senior Portfolio Manager of the Satori Fund. They'll be talking about the outlook for technology stocks. And of course, we have all the big tech earnings coming up ahead this month. Should be a good call. Thanks again for joining me today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in and for your many interesting questions. Stay well, everyone, and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.